0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast.
1: You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with fellow app nerds, John Beeler and Graham Williams. We've got a pretty cool program today. Later on in the program, uh, we will be talking about some of the uh, awesome shows that we are watching on the streaming services, some that you might uh, not have uh, thought of or come across. We'll give you the lowdown on that. We'll also be talking with Taiwan's digital minister and how Taiwan is uh, coping with the coronavirus and all the things like the misinformation uh, on social channels. It's really, really quite cool. And we will also be looking into AI, artificial intelligence, when it comes to making songs. There's a, a, a program going on right now down in California uh, that uh, is actually recreating songs uh, that's you know, like Frank Sinatra or Katy Perry uh, could have potenti- uh, potentially sang. Uh, and these are completely made up and completely computer-generated voices uh, as well, which is kind of scary. One day uh, we could replace you, Graham.
2: You know, I'm looking forward to that day because at that point I'm going to take a vacation. As long as I can bill for it, I'm happy.
1: Well, we'll discuss that too. Who gets the money? Let's look at some of the app news uh, happening uh, this week. Uh, this one was interesting to me. We, we finally got... Uber and Lyft here in British Columbia. It's been available, I think, for about a hundred years everywhere else, uh, including down in California. But uh, now California is actually suing to make Uber and Lyft drivers employees. So this one's kind of a challenge.
2: Uh, I mean, and here's I think where we need a new distinction of employment because when you have people who can clock in and clock out when they want to, um, where they get paid a an adjustable rate depending on demand. That's not necessarily somebody that falls under an employee banner, but it's also somebody that doesn't necessarily fall under a contract banner. And the challenge right now is making sure that drivers don't get taken advantage of. And I think for drivers out there, you know, a lot of people that you speak to, um, when you take a Lyft or you take an Uber, you know, how do you like it? I love it. And, you know, it gives me flexibility, it gives me all of these things. So I think there's a certain class of driver out there that does not want to have the additional responsibilities that come with an employee, but, you know, could also be afforded some of the additional protections that come with being an employee. So this is this is actually sort of that middle ground that I think California is falling on the side of, well, this is how we've always done it, and Uber is falling on the side and Lyft falling on the side of this is the way that we want to do it, and in the middle is that middle ground of this is how we should do it.
1: Well, it's interesting. They're trying to obviously create some ground rules and protections for these uh, workers, Uh, and you know, a few of the issues would be things like sick pay and overtime pay. And to your point, Graham, overtime pay is basically you know, if you work more, you get typically more rides and you make more money.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the danger is obviously like people overworking themselves. I don't want a a driver on the road that's going to be on for too long. And I think they actually have protections inside the app to make sure that people don't overstay their shifts. Um, the sick days is an interesting one because, you know, if you're not clocking in as an Uber driver, you're not making money. Um, but if you're not clocking in, you're also not an available to the company as a resource. So there's sort of, again, that, um, that sort of middle ground. Uh, the, the challenge here is obviously like in Canada, we don't have that level of pre-supplied paid sick days. That's something that's supplied by your employer. So forcing uh, the employer to, to handle that is is one option. Um, I kind of fall back on this, you know, here in Canada, which is we could actually have a social safety net that says as employees, you could be afforded a certain amount of, uh, of sick days and then it's not connected to your employer, which could actually be a good way of going about it.
1: The, the overtime pay, though, concerns me. Uh, I, I get what they're trying to do there, but does that also start uh, infringing on the, the safety of, uh, of the ride and, and the drivers? Like if you make it so that uh, these drivers get overtime pay if they've driven for like eight hours or more, I, I think that would cause a lot of these drivers to stretch to make the eight hours of driving to get that overtime pay.
2: And we have seen that, you know, tired driving is almost as bad as drunk driving. So to your point, wouldn't
1: want to see it happen. Yeah, it's uh, kind of an interesting uh, issue. Uh, Also, Airbnb laying off 25% of their staff. John, are you heartbroken?
0: (laughs) Uh, No, but we were talking about this before. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that a big company like Airbnb that has a pretty big war chest needs to lay off their staff during this downturn, I guess if you don't want to call it that um, because no one's really traveling right now. And um, it's just a question of what is going to happen when things do pick up again, are they going to be rehiring or are they going to be restructured uh, out of a job basically because they've found some efficiencies from, you know, uh, maybe a top heavy company to begin with. So um, it, yeah, it's it, it's tough uh, but also uh, I think like Graham said uh, we're, we're, we're looking for the tiny violins
1: <laughs> Well, Airbnb apparently is saying that their revenue is down by half and uh, they will be laying off 1,900 employees. They currently have 7,500 uh, employees I, I guess one of the things I was amazed about they're still making that much revenue? Like who is who is staying in Airbnbs right now? Are are these the trap people out in the world that can't get back home? Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah. fact that there's still 50% of their businesses is, is going.
2: I'd be interested to see like how many are actually like longer term Airbnb rentals.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a few friends that that's what, that's what they did. They were digital nomads and they would just move to a country for a month in, in an Airbnb because they got a, a better rate. And, uh. And then they would just country hop basically every, every month.
1: But John, to your point uh, about, uh, you know, some of these companies cleaning house, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I don't think a lot of these companies are going to admit it, but it, it is a, a good opportunity. Now, if you wanted to let go of some people uh, that you didn't want anymore, this would kind of be an opportune time.
0: Or a really insensitive time.
1: (laughs) Well, no, it totally is an insensitive time. Uh, You know, and that's why I have trouble with some of these big corporations that have billions of dollars uh, in in their war chest. Uh, You know, can't you be good corporate citizens and, you know, keep these people employed?
0: Yeah, and, and definitely we've seen a few companies that have done that, and they've they've made some very uh, generous offers to their employees, even if their employees aren't even working for them right now. They they basically paid their salaries while they stay home and um, shelter in place, or you know whatever, depending on the country or state province that they're in um but obviously not everybody can afford to do that so it's uh it's definitely an interesting time for for all this type of stuff and um but yeah that's been my theory all along is that this type of um pandemic is going to make some major changes to how some of these companies operate and how they're structured because they're finding a lot of efficiencies now from the working from home stuff. So, uh, you know, even things like how much office space do you need when half your staff is working from home now and in quite comfortably working from home.
2: This is kind of interesting because I think it could be something that does stimulate another tech boom. If you do see tons of talented employees that are cut loose um, you know, we should be looking to, again, again, our, our governments to see if we can actually get some stimulus going for some small businesses. Uh, this actually reminds me of a really great story uh, where a company called Chalk Media once fragmented and uh, turned into a, a bunch of companies, Mike, I think one which you founded. So. <laughs>
1: Worked out for me. <laughs> worked out for you. <laughs> uh, let's look at some more app news here. This was, I thought, very cool. Uh, with Apple uh, in coming up in uh, some of their latest uh, updates to iPhones and also their watch, and I think it's iOS 13.5 and watch uh, operating system 6.2.5. I don't know how they come up with those numbers. Uh <laughs> It's uh, a feature that will automatically send your medical ID info to first responders. So if you invoke the emergency SOS feature uh, on your phone or watch, it will essentially share your medical ID information with emergency services.
2: Did you guys set off the emergency SOS on your phone at all? A few times by accident, yes. It's terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's this banshee siren that comes out of it um i was actually putting together some ikea furniture and i was smacking a piece in with my hand and it thought i had my watch thought i'd fallen over and uh yeah just that terrifying moment of you know oh it's going to call the police this is a great thing though my have you guys filled out your medical id no yes.
3: oh,
2: yeah no yeah so I, so you need to go into the, into the health app and do this, but it will take everything from your blood type, pre-existing conditions, uh, anything that they need to know about you. And so being able to send this to first responders, uh, so when they arrive on scene, this is going to be something that saves a ton of time. Um, I'm allergic to penicillin. Me too? And so uh, Yeah, so it, and I, you know, it's, it's not a, a terrible, it's not an anaphylactic reaction, but it is a reaction and something I prefer to avoid. So if I was in a situation where I was in an accident, uh, I would want to make sure that that's not a medication that's administered to me, so cool feature
1: also in the news you guys have tiles these yeah. are these little uh bluetooth trackers that you can attach to your keychain or stick on your bike uh, they've got all sorts of different models uh, they've announced a partnership with intel to track missing pcs and they say integration's be coming later this year
2: this is great right because this doesn't just uh, help you find your pcs this also adds a bunch of computers to the tile network and so everybody out there that now has a computer that's gonna be activated on Tile becomes one more thing to help you locate your bike or your wallet or your keys. Um, I have the uh, the Tile uh, Pro, the Tile Premium, I think. Have, yep. you, guys, have you guys done this? Um, every time I walk out of the house without my wallet, I get probably about 30 meters away and I'm like, oh, I forgot my wallet again. <laughs> so um, I, I'm, I'm excited for this. I mean, the interesting thing for Tile right now is we're hearing that Apple has an internal system in place that they're going to be adding and most of my gear is apple but i've been very happy with tile right now so i think i'm you know as much as i love being in that one vertical ecosystem i think i'm going to stick with tile for now
1: even if apple comes out with their own
2: i'm going to have to see how it is but you know what i've got a known quantity with that tile experience and it's been good for me
1: i'm interested to see if apple takes it outside of their their devices like will they create their own little tracker that you could attach to a keychain
2: Stickers and things, yeah. Yeah,
1: I I don't know. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, you've got to stay tuned. We're going to be talking about Jukebox. This is an AI uh, project uh, that some folks down in uh, California are uh, doing that uh, basically lets them recreate artists... Uh, their music styles, and even their vocals. And we'll have some examples of some of the songs that the computer has uh, put together in the stylings of uh, Katy Perry and Frank Sinatra. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this.
3: It's Christmas time and you know what that means. Oh time as I like the tree this year, be
1: well, that uh, was supposedly Frank Sinatra singing a song that he never sang. We're talking uh, in this segment uh, about Jukebox here on the app show. This is uh, a really interesting project uh, happening. It's a company called OpenAI. It's a research laboratory based in San Francisco, California, and they've created uh, some software using artificial intelligence that can recreate the vocal and musical stylings of uh, many different uh, artists. Have you guys checked this out yet? Yes. It's a little creepy, a little freaky, <laughs> but kind of cool. Yeah, the uh, it it kind of sounds like... Frank Sinatra is uh, drunk, slurring his words and kind of underwater. Uh, But it it is really quite amazing. Like it kind of sounds like him. And and so again, these are lyrics uh, that the researchers and uh, the computer have come up with and the computers come up with uh, uh, the music and also the vocals as well.
2: The, the, The fascinating thing for me here is that, you know, this does sound like Frank would sound in a lounge. Um, you know, the, the bigger implication, I think, is for stars that are still alive. Um, you know, there's a sample of Katy Perry on there, which had I not known that that was AI, I would have been like, it's not her best work, but that does. Sound like
1: <laughs> <Katie>. <laughs> well, they have um, all kinds of um, uh, artists, too. Like they've got Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, they've got uh, Alan Jackson as well. Uh, if you like pink, uh, there's some stuff there. Uh, let's see if we can uh, punch up uh, Katy Perry here, and I'll just uh, quickly play her as well. Uh, here we go. Ah! <laughs> Can't fully understand what she <laughs> is saying, but uh, it's it's not bad. It's got that uh, Katy Perry twinge to it, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, OpenAI has done this with a
2: few different things, right? They were actually um, using this to create esports. Uh, digital esports advocates, uh, um, adversaries, pardon me. So that pros could play against them, and uh, I remember watching an esports tournament a couple of years ago where one of the best guys in the world was going up against this thing. And uh, again, still not quite there, but this is a little like Deep Blue going up against Gary Kasparov and, and stuff like that. Um, this reminds me of a, a track that I've seen on YouTube, and I've been watching it for years. I go back to it every once in a while. Uh, have you heard of a band called the Axis of Awesome? Yes. Yes. yes, they do a song called the four-chord song where they basically make fun of pop music because uh, every pop song has only four chords. So I think AI having this sort of limited base that we've got to work with, based on what producers have been doing over the last 50 years, um, does give it sort of a little bit more of an edge in, in getting closer to the things that we're replicating. So the question right now is, you know, it, like is AI the future of art is AI the future of music um, and a lot of folks are saying well you know yeah it can dynamically generate that um, the the interesting thing is you know will it be able to create the combinations that we find compelling and do we find it compelling because somebody made it or do we find it compelling because it sort of sets off the electrical signals in our brain that say I like this
1: yeah but they're going to get to a point where the, the quality is going to be indiscernible between like the computer version of Frank Sinatra and you know the real Frank Sinatra and at that point you know will we uh, embrace that technology are we going to see new Frank Sinatra songs come out because or we're going to have a new
0: AI artist that is inspired by yeah uh, Frank Sinatra or or some other genre and that will become a top 10 hit um, that's completely computer generated
1: and and who owns that at that point
0: Well, that's a great question. You know, is that the person that owns the computer that generated it or the person that wrote the algorithm? Yeah, it's so I mean, from from my
2: perspective, I'm actually using something very similar. You know, I'm a DJ and I'm starting to get into more sampling as opposed to just mixing. And one of the things with sampling is. Finding those individual tracks um, inside a song where you can grab those little bits, whether it's the vocal, whether it's, it's the bass line. You can do that by mixing it with the EQ, uh, but there's actually an AI program called Splitter, um, and it's the song apart. Um, and this is, uh, it's actually available on GitHub, but there's a website called melody.ml. And if you've ever loved a song and you wanted to hear just the vocals or just the drumline or just the synth, you can actually feed an MP3 into this. And it uses the same sort of neural networks that's developing this kind of thing to split the song into its constituent parts, basically unmix the song, undo the job the producer did. So we've got AI that's not only building new music, but also breaking our existing music back into its original pieces.
1: If you want to check out Jukebox and some of these uh, crazy songs that uh, the computer has put together, it's openai.com. When we come back from the break, we'll be talking with Taiwan's digital miniature, uh, minister and how they're battling misinformation in this coronavirus uh, COVID-19 age. Back after this. We have an interesting segment uh, and guest coming up. Uh, As you know, most of our coverage has uh, been around technology and how that interplays uh, with uh, COVID-19. On the line, we've uh, got Audrey Tang, Digital Minister for uh, Taiwan. Thanks for joining us today.
3: Yeah, really happy to be here, virtually.
1: Before you accepted an invitation to work with the Taiwanese government, you were a programmer and a hacker. Explain to our audience the type of hacking you do and uh, how the efforts of you and the community benefits rather than hurts society.
3: Well, the kind of hacking that I do is called civic hacking. It differs from cybersecurity hacking where the white hat hackers um, determines the uh, vulnerabilities of the system and inform the system operator of it or black hat hackers who does the same thing but use it for their personal benefit a civic hacker doesn't find or fix Vulnerabilities in old systems. Rather, we build new systems that doesn't suffer from such vulnerabilities. Um, and so, uh, when looking at this information, for example, we do not try to get into the accounts of the people who spread this information. That would be cybersecurity hacking. Rather, we make fun, mimetic pictures. A uh, dog pictures uh, that uh, shares the clarified information in a much more fun way it is this what we call humor over rumor uh, and when executed uh, properly just make sure that everybody can laugh at uh, a socially controversial issue and then go back to democracy and so that's just one of the many cases where civic hacking has been successfully sending off this information along with many other things without resorting to cybersecurity hacking.
1: So you're talking about misinformation or disinformation uh, which obviously uh, we've seen around the world has spread so rapidly on social media. And, you know, a lot of the platforms are even struggling to keep up with that, to, to block out some of that. Uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter are great examples uh, mm-hmm. of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys have developed uh, your own disinformation counterattack. Can you maybe explain that a little further?
3: Mm-hmm. Sure. So, uh, the idea of disinformation in Taiwan is very well defined, uh, it's a legal definition, it's called uh, intentional untruth that cause public harm. So, um, and all of it are requisites. So if it's unintentional, as I said, it's misinformation, or it doesn't cause public harm, uh, it only harms the image of the minister. That may be just good journalism. Uh, and so it has to be intentional and it has to cause public harm. And whenever we detect that such a uh, disinformation is trending, every ministry is now equipped with the capability to roll out a fun, mimetic message within 60 minutes. And when they do that, uh, it's very effective so that uh, whenever we see something that needs to be clarified, to use the humor over rumor uh, response system. For example, this is our premier, our prime minister, who wrote it out after an hour of a rumor that says, perming your hair will be subject to one million anti-dollar fine and it not only (laughs) says it's not true it says I may be bought now but I will not punish people who look like my youth (laughs) and a fine print that says what we have done is introducing a labeling requirement for hair products taking effect July 2021 and a smaller um picture of the Prime Minister as he looks now and says, however, if you do perm your hair many times a week, it will not damage your pockets, but it will damage your hair. And when serious, <laughs> you can just look at me to see what would happen. Um, and so this is genuinely funny. Uh, and everybody who shared this uh, participated in the clarification. And so that if you search for those keywords, you're bound to find this picture and not this disinformation. And that's one of the examples of how we successfully fended off this information with the power of humor.
1: How many people do you have working for you to to accomplish this?
3: Well, working with me. I mean, yeah. um, I don't give orders to the ministries, but each ministry has dedicated people. Uh, all the people facing ministries, about 12 of them, um, have allocated a team of at least seven people of different expertise uh, so that they can pre-clear the use of well, the prime minister's uh, image for that. I also donated my Flickr album saying that all the um, editors uh, all around the world um, can freely use it for non-commercial purposes. So they have a kind of stock uh, of images for any purpose, and then they work out how to respond within uh, sixty minutes. So at least seven people per ministry.
1: How how is that all coordinated? Do they have autonomy to to respond to you know these things on online, or does it have to go through one central person or group before things get posted or dealt with?
3: One of the seven uh, is uh, the political um, kind of uh, delegate from the ministry, just as my office uh, is one delegate from each ministry maximum. Um, everybody in that um, humor over rumor response protocol um, has direct access to the spokesperson's team of that ministry as well as to the administration's uh, spokesperson. So, of course, they do have to clear that, but uh, by clearing that, I mean like five minutes. So it's not a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, Another example is uh, the same prime minister smiling happily here um, in the convenience store. Uh, One day, uh, there was a rumor that says um, there's a panic buying of tissue papers because people think that the material of those medical masks is the same as tissue paper, which is not true. It's intentional um, untruth that harms the public. And so again, applying uh, humor over rumor the same premier also now publishes a mimetic image now showing his Botox and wiggling it a bit. Uh, and the title here says, um, we only have one pair of Botox each, meaning that there is no point in uh, panic buying tissue papers. And then there's a table that shows the materials of medical mask is um, actually plastic uh, and it's from Taiwan. But the tissue paper, which is here, mostly are produced from South America. And so these are different, and we don't need to panic buy. And it's so effective that within a day or two, everybody stopped panic buying. And we found out the original disinformation thought is from a tissue paper reseller. Again, uh, a very uh, good, interesting use of humor, but it's only useful if it's rolled out timely.
1: That's fascinating. Uh, we're still having problems with the toilet paper here. So maybe we can get some <laughs> some learning from, uh, from, from that. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we'll be chatting more with Audrey Tang from Taiwan. Uh, she is the digital minister there and uh, learning how they are combating the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Back after this. Welcome back to The App Show. We are chatting with Audrey Tang, Taiwan's digital minister, about how they are combating the COVID-19 epidemic in that country from a digital perspective. Contact tracing is a big thing for a lot of countries. Some are doing it very well. Some are doing it OK. Some are not doing it very well at all. Um, we've seen companies like Google and Apple now entering into agreement to provide contact tracing services through their smartphones. Uh, Is this something that could help Taiwan? Like, what have you guys done technology-wise to do the contact tracing for the virus?
3: Yeah, uh, we've done a lot of contact tracing, but we did not do any uh, app-level data collection. Basically, uh, we do not collect um, extra data for uh, countering COVID uh, whenever and wherever we could. Um, And so what we have done instead is that we do testing on the borders. So Taiwan being uh, a bunch of islands, it's impossible to accidentally stumble upon our border. Uh, And so now if you visit Taiwan, well, you first have to be a returning resident and have a really good case for visiting at the moment. Um, If you come from a high-risk place, uh, then entire... Um, airplane or the passenger from a high risk place uh, goes into um, quarantine. Uh, and the quarantine is provided by top hotels. Um, and we make sure that we thank you for the 14 days of your effort and pace some 30 euros per day uh, stipend, and so on. Uh, but if you break that home quarantine, it's 1000 times that fine. But uh, <laughs> in any case, <laughs> in any case, um, so what we have done instead is that we control this at the borders with quarantining. And uh, we use something called a digital fence, meaning that if people break out of their quarantine with their phone, a automated SMS message is sent to local hassle managers and police so that people can see uh, what had really happened. And we keep people within quarantine using this way. Of course, if their phone runs out of battery or stays for too long without moving or answering messages, the same thing happens. So it is some encroachment uh, on the privacy uh, during those 14 days. Uh, But we do have a constitutional um, court ruling during uh, SARS and after SARS, when we did a recap, that backs this up. And so because of that, we had not had to use any app level tracing because we've never entered lockdown. Um, There's only like 400 or so um, cases and we know the contact history of most of them and all are using traditional interview methods and so on. And uh, we've not had any uh, closure of schools or anything like that. So we're not at a stage of community spread um, and it's been almost a month now with no new domestic confirmed cases. So there's a little need uh, for those uh, Bluetooth-based tracing apps.
0: You also did something really interesting with how you were managing the supply chain for masks Mm -hmm. using technology. Can you explain that?
3: So at the very beginning, um, the medical mask, everybody wants to, to buy it because um, in Taiwan, this is very interesting because it's a, a signal that I'm taking proper care of myself. Uh, I'm wearing a medical mask to stop my hands, to touch my mouth, and uh, wearing the medical mask to show that I know proper hand sanitation rules, uh, which has a, its own mimetic packaging and the fun lyric adapt. But in any case, um, it's, a, it's something that I'm protecting myself. But as all of us know, it primarily protects others. But because of that, uh, uh, the social pressure works uh, in a kind of selfish way that is also pro-social. Because if you show up uh, in a gathering of 50 people, uh, but only five people are wearing medical masks, they can apply social pressure, reminding the other 45 people to take care of themselves. But actually they protect those five people. Um, and so this is very effective. but because of that uh, there was um, very co- confusing accounts of how many masks are there and things like that. So because of that, uh, there's a civil society, a civic hacker, uh, someone who uh, writes for the public benefit uh, software programs uh, who did a map. That shows uh, all the availability of um, masks in convenience stores. But the convenience stores very quickly run out of supply. So we started rationing it out uh, through the pharmacies and to the uh, more than 6,000 pharmacies they receive a um, fixed amount of uh, mask uh, every day uh, and they can uh, sell it to anyone presenting their national health card. Uh, and we have also a single-payer um, national health system here so that everybody who show their card uh, can collect at the moment, uh, if you're an adult, you can collect every two weeks, nine medical masks. If, you, if you're a child, every two weeks, 10 medical masks. And you can see that the stock level of that pharmacy on your phone, depleting by 9 or 10 on the adult or child column uh, every three minutes. Because unlike other uh, jurisdictions where uh, the publishing of statistics information every day is normal, we make sure that we publish every three minutes in a kind of distributed ledger uh, manner so that it's mirrored, it's copied to more than 140 tools. So that if your um, uh, visibility, uh, eyesight is not that good, you can switch to a chatbot or a voice assistant uh, or uh, something that is more friendly to people with blindness as well as people speaking different languages and so on. So no matter who you are and where you are, you can access where are your nearest pharmacies that still have some mask in stock and thereby reduce the queuing and also in- increase the uh, people's confidence that the supply is indeed growing and also informs the distribution strategy because we know exactly where it has oversupply and where it has undersupply. And that's why after a while, we decided to post them with a convenience stores on a pre-ordering system because there's many uh, municipalities where people work very late in the day and therefore we'll miss the mass collection because they work longer hours than the pharmacists. And that is, again, a case of evidence-based policymaking.
1: So you're telling me the convenience stores update this this chart by the minute, like not not daily.
3: The, fa- the, the pharmacies, because the convenience stores are operating on a pre-ordering basis. Yeah. So you take your card there, uh, you swipe, and then you receive the mask um, a week or so afterwards. Got it. Okay. Uh, and so there's 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 no stock level. But if you really need it now, like if you start developing symptoms and things like that, you can just go to your nearest pharmacy and they and have collect them. the mask and. And then they have to and put it on and go to a clinic or something, and and it's a rational thing to do because uh, of the universal healthcare coverage, ninety nine point nine nine percent. Everybody who shows any symptom, COVID or not, will get treated fairly and without incurring any financial cost other than the five euros uh, of the registration fee on the clinic.
1: Definitely could learn a few things. We're talking with Audrey Tang. He's the Digital Minister for Taiwan. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you. When well, we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike, Graham, and John here. One more segment, and we're going to talk about some of the shows that we're streaming uh, at uh, the moment. John, what's uh, your favorite happening right now?
0: Well, uh, this past week, it was Star Wars Day, and uh, Disney released Disney's Gallery. And it's basically the behind-the-scenes documentary about how The Mandalorian gets made. And it's a really fascinating look at the process they went through to sort of reinvent how... Uh, they could do a Star Wars live-action show, uh, and they have uh, a whole bunch of directors, uh, one for each episode, and they all work together on their episodes, uh, as opposed to being, uh, you know, flown in just for their one uh, episode and then out. They, so they all have this cohesiveness that uh, is it, it just isn't there on, on a lot of other shows, and, and it's basically a roundtable, a conversation that John Favreau, the producer and uh, writer of. Uh, the Mandalorian uh, sort of has where he introduces all the directors and, and sort of what they're bringing to the table. And it's a fascinating look at how they've made the Mandalorian and it's a uh, episodic. So there will be eight episodes and one, one a week, I believe.
1: This is a dream. This is cheap content for Disney to, <laughs> to punch out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Somewhat. Uh, did they show some of the behind the scenes on how they filmed uh, some of the segments? I mean, uh, they're using new technologies, not green screens anymore, but kind of, um, uh, yeah. They call with- it
0: the volume. It's basically a giant L- LCD display that is the set. Uh, the, the, you know, the roof, the walls, the floor, everything is all controlled by computer. And they do real time uh, CG work in that environment uh, as they need to. And it's kind of interesting because you actually get to see the perspective that it looks like um, when cameras are pointing at it uh, in the show it takes into account all the aspect ratios and all that kind of stuff. But when you just look at it from like a documentary standpoint, it's pretty distorted because it's meant to look a certain way with a certain lens from a certain angle. But as soon as you get away from that angle, it looks really, really wonky and strange, which is really kind of cool to see, but also like, you know, all the little things like
1: how baby Yoda works and that kind of stuff you, you get to see as well. So if you love baby Yoda, this is the show for you to check out. Yes. Well, I uh, I'm gonna go away from the Star Wars uh, theme. I uh, watched uh, the Netflix series Hollywood. Have you seen this yet? No. Uh, done by Ryan Murphy. He's a screenwriter, director, producer. He did uh, stuff like Nip Tuck, Glee, American Horror Story, uh, The Politician, Lone Star. Uh, so he's done quite a few series. Uh, so this is uh, a take back on uh, Hollywood of 1947, 1948, and kind of a revisionist history, uh, you know, a group of uh, kids get together to kind of break the Hollywood system. So uh, it, it was really well done. I, I didn't totally buy into the, the revisionist part of it because it kind of negated, you know, the strides that uh, a lot of, uh, you know, racial minorities uh, had to, to make over the years. But uh, it, it, was, it was well done. So I, I encourage you guys to check it out. Again, Hollywood. That's all the time we have left. If uh, you want to see more of uh, the show, uh, we actually video podcast it, including also our sister show, Get Connected. And you can go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. You can also visit our our YouTube channel at uh, get connected uh, TV or get connected media uh, up on YouTube to search for that. We'd love for you to subscribe and uh, like some of our content so we can keep making more and more. If you want to win some prizes, we're giving away a Belkin wireless charging stand. So if you've got uh, one of the new phones that supports wireless charging, this is the wireless charger for you. All you have to do to enter to win is go to getconnectedmedia.com, hit our newsletter section and subscribe and you're automatically entered. want to thank everyone that helps put the show together including my hosts Graham and uh, John and all the rest of the folks back at uh, the ranch we'll see you again next time
0: you've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast listen live at cknw.com the radio player Canada app tune in Amazon Alexa HD radio at 101.1 FM HD 2 and on the AM dial 980 CKNW